those slides up in the back. We're going to have a lot of them. Um, before we do that, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, it is a privilege and blessing to be your servant and to be allowed to do that full-time as Stephen and I uh, have been called to do is truly a privilege, and we thank you for that. We thank you that it is not because of anything in ourselves that we have these roles, but because of your great grace. And Father, your grace testifies to us every morning that you are God and that you love us. And to put us here among these people is truly a blessing, and we thank you for it. And we pray this morning as we gather around your word that you would open our eyes to see and help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, tonight is a special event. There is a service planned uh, for my official entry into the Evangelical Free Church as an ordained Evangelical Free Church pastor. Uh, I was ordained originally by an independent Bible church congregation that I went to serve in right out of seminary uh, before I came here. But now I have been received officially into the Evangelical Free Church as a full-fledged EFCA pastor. And so we're going to uh, have a little service tonight at 530. Uh, And this will probably be something you won't see for a long time. I think the last one that happened here was about 15 years ago. So uh, this will be a, a relatively unique opportunity to witness that and participate in that. And we hope you'll join us uh, for that. Um, the, the man who mentored me in ministry and was my boss at our former church will be here to give the message, uh, Pastor Steve Benton. And also the area superintendent from the Evangelical Free Church will be here uh, to make a presentation. And our elders are going to pray, we're going to sing, we're going to open God's Word together. It's going to be a neat thing. So I hope you'll come. Uh, Now, we have been looking, this is our last week of looking at the church for a while. Uh, We've been looking at the marks of the church as well as the essential works of the church. Uh, We said that the marks are orthodoxy or teaching and preaching and believing what the Bible says about various things. Uh, order, which is another word for church government, having, having biblically qualified uh, elders and, de- and deacons and deaconesses who lead the church. Ordinances, as we just celebrated, uh, one of them, communion and baptism. Uh, and then necessary or essential works, evangelism, sharing the gospel with people who need to know Jesus, edification, helping people to grow in Christ and exaltation, which is another way of talking about worship, that, that the church needs to worship God together. Now, these three things, uh, uh, three, three necessary marks, three uh, essential works, are all things that are required for the church to be the church. But underneath and above and permeating through all these things... There should be one more thing, which is not on your chart, but without which none of these things are sufficient in themselves. And, I, and that is love. 
And I think that we a lot of times assume that love should fill the church in every one of its aspects, but sometimes it simply doesn't. In fact, it is possible to be orthodox in your doctrine and faithful to the Bible in every aspect, checking all of the boxes on this diagram and still wind up like the church in Ephesus, which John writes to in Revelation, who is told that they are in danger of losing their lampstand because they operate faithfully and biblically, but without love. They've gone cold, and I never want that to be true of us here at this church. And so I would like to uh, encourage us to not just be theologically correct and ministerially faithful, but also to be a church that's characterized by love for God and love for His people. So we want to look at what it means to be a loving church. Uh, here this morning, we're going to look at several verses, uh, two in John and then a whole bunch elsewhere in your New Testament. So it's going to go by fast, but I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, John chapter 13, verse th- Uh, verse uh, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, these are not complicated verses, amen? Does not take a theology degree to understand these. These are like, these are like uh, going out west to look for gold and finding big nuggets laying right on the surface of the ground. This is easy pickings, all right? It doesn't take a lot of effort to understand or to explain. Here's what it says. Jesus tells us that if we are his followers, then we must love one another. It's a command from Jesus. And commands from Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, are meant to be obeyed. It's not optional. And on top of that, it is sacrificial. He says, as I have loved you, so you love each other. How did Jesus show his love to us? He lays his life down for us. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. It's self-sacrificial. Or to quote the Apostle John from 1 John 4.10, This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. In other words, Jesus' love for us is demonstrated in action and specifically in self-sacrificial death. Now, how many of you men who are married, raise your hands, if you would happily die for your wife. Have you, any of you men happily take a bullet for your wife? I hope every hand is up if you're married. <laughs> okay. If not, see me afterwards. We'll set up counseling for you. <laughs> okay. Um, now, how many of you moms, if your child was out in the street and was out to get hit by a car would run out and grab that kid and throw your body in front of that car. How many of you moms? Some of you kids look around. All right. (laughs) Take heed if your mom's on that list or not, right? 
And if not, don't you run out there. All right. <laughs> but now, if you would willingly die for someone else, why would you do that? I'll tell you why. Because you're family and you love each other. And here's the fundamental truth, the fundamental reality that the New Testament emphasizes over and over and over again. That when you are part of the body of Christ, then the people who are in it with you are family. Amen? We're family. That's why historically, traditionally, church members always referred to each other as brother and sister. Always. From the New Testament on. In fact, how many times do you read in the, in the Bible where it uses that word brethren, right? Some people want to add in there and cistern, right? <laughs> but, uh, but the idea is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That we are family. And as family, we must love each other in ways that lay our own lives down if necessary for each other. And love doesn't normally demand anything quite that dramatic. I dare say most of you men have never actually had to stare down a gunman. And it's either you or your wife, and it's going to be you. Most of us have not had to do that. Uh, I dare say most of you moms have not had to run out and grab your child literally out in front of a car. Most of us are able to open the door, stand on the porch, and yell at them, get out of the street, right? <laughs> um, but, but if it came down to it, we would. Why? Because we're family, and love goes that far. And in, and in the day-to-day, on the lesser levels of sacrifice that we may have to make, love also willingly sacrifices my own wants and desires for other people's benefit. And look at Jesus. what Jesus says, verse 35. All people will know that we belong to Jesus if we love one another. Uh, love is what the Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer said is the final apologetic. In other words, it's the final argument that you can make to someone who is not a Christian that they should become one. They can look at the relationships that people have one with another within the body of Christ or how they are treated by a Christian person and understand that this person is different from everybody else I've ever encountered. Because look at how they love each other. Look at how they love each other. And, and because many times I think that it's easy for us, to, those of us who like to study the Bible, those of us who like to read the Bible, um, those of us who want to dig into things like Greek words and Hebrew tenses and all that kind of thing, we can kind of intellectualize our faith. And we can think that knowing is equivalent to doing. How many of us know that we should exercise? Okay. All right, I'll wrap myself out here. How many of us exercise? (laughs) All right. How many of us know again? Yeah, okay. I just was checking. There does seem to be a dichotomy, at least at times, at least for some of us, between knowing and doing. Amen? And... 
And I think sometimes we can, we can confuse the two and think that because I know that I actually do this. But let me show you, I want to give you 12 examples out of your New Testament. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a sufficient list of things that the, that the apostles tell us to do with and for one another. There are 12 of them. There's actually about 60 of these commands in your New Testament that say one another, do this for one another. Uh, but I just picked 12 of them that I liked that were different enough from one another that we could get the idea. Here are 12 commands for how to put love into action. So first, according to Romans 12.10, love looks like devotion and honor. Here's what the Word says. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, those of you who know the horns know that we are highly competitive people. We like to play games sometimes. Although we have some games that we no longer play that are banned from our house because we get too competitive when we play them, right? Um, but look at this phrase here at, in Romans 12.10. Outdo one another in showing honor. My house, like I say, we like to outdo one another in all kinds of things. You know, I won't play Settlers of Catan with my oldest daughter anymore because I don't win anymore and haven't won in about 12 games, <laughs> right? Um, and she likes that. She likes that. She thinks that beating the old man is one of the joys of life, right? But the idea is here that we outdo one another, not in silly things like that, but that we outdo one another in showing honor to each other. That we treat each other with respect, that within the body of Christ, there is a level of deference and respect and honor that is given to each other. And that it's almost like a competition for who can do it best. Love looks like giving each other, you know, uh, Nathan had his birthday this last week, he turned 10, and one of the ways we show honor in our house is, we, is you get to eat off of the red plate. We have one red plate, a whole bunch of others, but we have one red one. And if you were the honored guest at dinner, you get the red plate, right? And honor looks like that. Within the body of Christ, we ought to be making an effort to, in a sense, give each other, to serve each other off of the red plate as far as it comes to our interaction one with another. Love also means, uh, this is the next one here, acceptance. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. In other words, receive each other in love don't demand that other people conform to your expectations of them. They may have different choices that they make. And here in Romans 15, Paul is specifically talking about debatable issues. Uh, there, are, there are things that the Scripture is not clear on, that Christians have convictions that go a variety of directions on. And yet you're to accept one another. So 
Let me just pick a random example here. Some Christians want to send their kids to Christian school, and they think that's what God would have them do. Some Christians say, well, I really think I need to send my kids to the public school so we can be involved in the community. Other Christians say, no, I'm going to homeschool my kids because I want to be the one to teach them everything that they need to know. Which one's right? Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. It's a debatable issue. Live within your convictions. There are other issues that are the same way, that we're to accept one another and love each other. Don't make everybody else conform to your opinion and expectation. Uh, next one here. Love means bearing burdens. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. So how do you fulfill the law of Christ? He says, bear one another's burdens. Let me tell you about this. When, when my youngest, Nathan, was just a little guy, he had a tumor that was growing on the side of his skull. You can still see the scar in his hairline when his hair is cut short. And we had to go down to the University of Iowa Hospital. We were living in Cedar Rapids at the time. We drove down to Iowa City. That was the, where the big children's hospital was. And we had to see the pediatric neurosurgeon to have this tumor removed. And we, the doctor was fairly confident that um, this was going to turn out to be benign. You know, we're not, we're not too worried about this. But, of course, I'm looking at my son, who's six months old, and thinking, this is my baby boy. And the brain surgeon is going to work on him. And we go down, and, and when we get there, we are not there by ourselves. My boss at the time, Pastor Steve, who's going to be here tonight, and his wife, Barb, who's also going to be here tonight, they were there waiting on us to arrive. And they sat there and prayed with us and talked with us, talked to us about 75 things other than what was going on in the other room down the hall. Why? Because they were bearing the burden with us. And Nathan turned out to be fine. You know, I mean, all he's got, mostly fine. <laughs> but, but, you know, he's 10. You know, he turned out to be fine. But we didn't know that. And I had friends who bore the burden with us. And in the body of Christ, that's the kind of relationships we should have with each other. That when hard stuff happens, that we are there bearing the burden together. Amen? Now, next one. Uh, this text is not too popular in our day, but love also includes speaking the truth. Ephesians 4.25 says, Having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of each other. 
The idea here is that we don't conceal the truth from each other. Sometimes truth needs to be spoken even when the person that we are speaking it to doesn't want to hear it. Why? Because in the body of Christ we are members of one another. That does not mean that we go about looking for someone to confront. But it does mean that that when we are aware that somebody is going over the cliff, that we are the ones to stand in the road and say, Hey! Stop! I remember doing that with a friend of mine who left his wife. He was off in another city. He was... uh, trying to hook up with another old girlfriend and this kind of thing. I called him on the phone. His wife came over to Karen and I's house. And uh, she is crying and in tears and says, he's left. I don't know where he's going. I don't know when he's coming back. If he's coming back, what's happening? I said, let me have 10 minutes. Went upstairs. I got on the phone and I basically gave him the Roto-Rooter in a spiritual sense, and was like, you, sir, need to get yourself home to your wife, and you need to repent, and you need to beg her to take you back, because she is the best thing that is ever going to happen to you. And on top of that, if you do not return home, we are not friends, because this cannot continue. By the grace of God, he used my very pointed way of speaking to him in his life. He went home. They have two more kids. They're happily married. Okay, but that kind of thing sometimes needs to happen in the body of Christ where we need to have a commitment enough to each other that we will speak the truth and physically get hold of somebody if need be and say, this cannot continue. Amen? This cannot continue. If we love each other, just like, just like I would say to my kid, get out of the street! We ought to be able to say that to each other. Amen? Sometimes truth needs to be spoken. And we need to be unafraid to speak it, even if we're worried about what that might do to the relationship, because we care about each other enough to say what needs to be said. And just so we don't get out of plumb on our truthfulness... Here's Ephesians 4.32, about six verses later, seven verses later. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, again, we're not looking for people to confront necessarily, um, but when that needs to happen, we do, but we also do it in a way that is kind and as gently as we can, and we deal with one another with tender-heartedness. And we forgive each other as, and, and this is the way that the Scripture always speaks of the forgiveness we're to extend, as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, Jesus doesn't hold grudges. He's not sitting up there next time you need forgiveness going, yeah, well, I remember the last time you did this. And um, you haven't changed enough, pal, so I'm not forgiving you this time. That's not how it works. 
forgiveness is freely offered whenever repentance is genuinely given. Gentle and forgiving. Uh, next one here. We've got to go, go fast here. Uh, do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices. You've got to be truthful. We don't varnish the rubbish. Uh, when we mess up, we admit it. And we don't tell some story that makes ourselves look better than the reality. That's what we're doing most of the time when we lie, isn't it? We're trying to make ourselves look better than what we really are. We've got to be truthful. Uh, also, same chapter, a few verses later, Colossians 3, next one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Love for each other means worshiping together. It means gathering together on a normal basis in order to worship with one another, to hear God's word taught, to encourage and admonish each other, to sing together, to be thankful together for the things that God is doing. Uh, you know, if, uh, if, you, if you don't show up to the family Thanksgiving, you're going to hear about it, right? Right. Uh, why? Because it's family, and this matters. Uh, same thing here. Worship matters. Not just for God and for your relationship with Him, but for each other as well. Uh, loving each other also means encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul writes, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Church should be an encouraging place, a place where we cheer one another on in all of our God-honoring endeavors, whatever those are. You know, I heard about one of our members who is, who is engaged in, in some study and some learning and is going to see those uh, see the changes that she is studying and learning about. She's put together a project. And now her company is going to implement all this stuff. I was like, that is so cool. And it ought to be a place where we know about those kind of things and hear about those kind of things. And we cheer for one another in those achievements. Love for each other also results in peace. Next one here. Keep going, guys. Yeah. Next one more. Be at peace with one another. You know, one of the great joys of my life is that here at Chillicothe Bible Church, under normal circumstances, we're at peace with each other. This is not a place where there's a lot of fighting, and it's a great thing. You know, not that we never get sideways one with another, but normally speaking, we're at peace because we love each other. Now, that brings me to probably the least popular but most needed command of all from the Apostle James. So one more. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed, for the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Somewhere between our conversion when we admit to God that we are sinners who deserve to die and go to hell forever apart from Christ's sacrifice for us and membership in the Christian community, somewhere between those two events, we somehow conclude that admitting that we are sinners is a shameful thing. I don't know exactly how that happens. 
But nevertheless, I know that it happens, and we don't want to admit to what we're really actually dealing with and the burdens we actually carry with one another. But James knows that what I am learning, uh, that holiness is a team sport. And we need help a lot of times with a lot of issues from other believers who can pray with us and pray for us, who can advise us, who can fight side by side with us, who can hold us accountable until we one day achieve victory over that issue that is weighing us down. And you know why our prayers are often weak? This verse tells us. Because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So how come mine is weak? Well, are you a righteous person? If not, the first part of the verse applies. Right? You're not yet to a point where you are walking in righteousness. Then you may find you struggle with your prayers. And you need to be able to get a hold of another believer who will stand with you and say, let's go to the Lord together on this. Let me help you. Let me walk alongside you. Let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. Let's meet over coffee and walk through this together. Confess that you might be healed. We're going to look at two more. Last two. 1 Peter 4.10 as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. God expects us to use His gifts. That's what it means to be a steward. That you've been entrusted with something, God expects you to use it. That's what it means to be a steward. And to be a good steward means to use the gifts that God gives, not for your own benefit, but for other people's benefit. If you're a teacher, teach enthusiastically. If you have money, give generously. If you're a leader, lead with excellence. If you excel in showing compassion, do it joyously. If you have gifts of service, employ them with zeal and gusto. And finally, 1 Peter 5.14. Peter tells us something the New Testament repeats several times. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, I'm not advocating we start locking lips with everybody we meet here at church, all right? Not saying that. But here's what you need to understand about this. In, the, in, in New Testament culture, people did not kiss one another in public. Husbands and wives didn't kiss in public. There was no PDA. You just didn't do that. And you didn't do that with strangers that you would meet. You would not demonstrate that kind of affection. But there was one giant exception to this. If you were family. If you were brother and sister, you would kiss each other when you saw each other in the, in the marketplace. If you were mom and dad or, or, uh, or um you know, if you, if you were a son and you saw mom in the, in, the, in the marketplace, you could come up and kiss her and give her a hug. You could, as a daughter, kiss your dad in public, and no one thought it was weird. Still that way in Israel, by the way, and in a lot of the Middle East, uh, you will see members of, of the same family holding hands uh, and with their arm around each other and so forth. 
but you will not see that in any other context. And the reason that Peter tells us, greet each other with the kiss of love, is not because he wants us to smooch each other, but because he wants to underline the fact that this is family. This right here, this group of people that you come and worship with every week who are believers in Jesus Christ, this is family. This is family. We are brothers and sisters, and so our relationships with each other ought to exhibit genuine, heartfelt, sometimes even physical affection with each other. Now here's the point, last, last thing here, and I'll be quiet. Do you love one another? Do you love one another? Love is the ultimate mark of Jesus' followers, so the question is, do you love one another? Do you genuinely, really, with great affection, and devotion, and honor, and encouragement, and truthfulness, and acceptance, and kindness, and forgiveness, and confession of sin, and worship, and peace, and service, and graceful confrontation when needed, actually love one another. Because that's what the Scripture calls us to. God is not calling us to be superficially nice to each other. And to say, oh, how are you? It's good to see you again this week, brother. Oh, nice to see you, sister. But to actually care about each other in a deep, heartfelt, compassionate, loving, graceful way. Such that you, just like Jesus, laid down his life for his disciples and for us, that we would be willing eventually to lay down our lives for each other in ways both Extreme as well as small. Amen? Love one another. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You give us not only an example to follow and instructions to obey, but also the power to do it. You give us a command and then You enable us to do it by Your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that today would be the day when we consider how we treat each other in the body of Christ. And that we would grow in love and deep affection and self-sacrifice for each other. And we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.